From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 235 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing just great. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm fine. I am probably tired and sore and... (laughs) Hungry from from the D23 Expo. But today we're going to talk about sort of a mini version of that event. And that is, of, of D23, or maybe a mini version of Destination D. And that is the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet 2022 that I attended. Uh, it sort of started the evening of July 29th. And then the big main event was July 30th, 2022. And for folks who aren't familiar with Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet, it is a, um, it, it's, it's sort of the premier, I'm, I'm looking at their website and it's a celebration of all things Disney. And as, and as they describe it, it's the premier unofficial Disney fan event in America. And it, and it's sponsored and it is sponsored by D23. So, and this is, I don't know of many other Disney fan events that have an official sponsor from Disney. Oh. Maybe the Disney Anna Fan Club. You know, I'm mm, not sure yeah. though. But it's but definitely also, a huge honor for them. The fact that Disney not only recognizes, but helps make it the event that we're all going to hear about because, you know, as I think I hinted maybe after you got back from it, uh, just seeing the photos that you were taking, it, it, looked like you just had an incredible time it was a lot of fun it was nice uh it was nice to reconnect with a lot of people i hadn't seen in a few years there were a lot of listeners that attended there who all told me to tell you hello craig <laughs> and um and this is held in linwood washington it's about a 40 minute drive out out of seattle um maybe from the seattle airport if there's no traffic there is always traffic so, um, and, and I hate the Seattle airport. Oh my gosh, the SeaTac airport is horrible. But, uh, but, um, anyways, but, but once you get on the road and you get sort of out of Seattle, it's a really easy drive. And it's also sponsored by the Museum of Flight, which was hosting, uh, the World War II exhibit that the Walt Disney Family Museum put on and also touringplans.com. I think I want something. Oh, oh, I want a free, a year's membership of, with touringplans.com hmm. for, and I chose Disneyland. So I guess I should activate it. So, um, yeah, before I probably. go, the, <laughs> before I go down the D23. So, um, anyway, and they had, anyway, so they have, uh, they have guest speakers there. They have a charity raffle. There's pin trading. There's, 
some food and snacks, although I, I wish that part would get a little better. They have, they have vendors there that, uh, sort of vary by, um, you know, it varies by year. That's remember I mentioned there were a couple of authors there that had either we were the inspiration in the books or we were actually in the book itself connecting with Walt was. So that was, that was exciting. And, Anyway, so there's a lot going on. The guest speakers, and and I'm going to talk about them in just a moment. Um, Roger Gould, who is the creative director of Theme Parks, a picture animation studios. Charita Carter, she's executive producer of Relevancy and Activations at Walt Disney Imagineering, which I had no clue what any of that meant when, when, um, went on, but she ended up being an absolute delight. Um, Kevin Rafferty, Executive Creative Director, Walt Disney Imagineering. Uh, I read his autobiography. Um, you would love his book, Craig. Um, it's, I, I just finished it. Uh, Magic Journey, my, fanta- my fantastical Walt Disney Imagineering career. Highly recommend it. He worked on every major attraction yeah. that we enjoy. Oh. And he has such a fantastic writing style, very humorous and all that. And he made me realize what little amount of creativity I have <laughs> in myself because the way Imagineers is just the way they think. And I know this from a couple of friends I have who are Imagineers. They everything they look at, they find a story, they find something creative and all that, where they can build upon it. Whereas I just look at something and say, oh yeah, that's really nice. And um, so it's a terrific book. And I tried, I asked if he'd be on the show, but he retired during the pandemic. And so he's not doing anything to promote the book. So he said pre-pandemic, they had set up tours and set up to be on shows and all that. But then the pandemic hit and everything got canceled. And then he retired during the pandemic. So I'll say he's done. He might not be promoting it firsthand, but there is not a day where I don't get on my Amazon account. (laughs) And it is pushed under the section of things we think you might like. And Mm -hmm. it is always there. I'm like, I I get it. I will get the book eventually. I I am really behind on my reading, but I will, I will get there. Just leave you, me alone for right now. <laughs> you will love this book. You really will. So, um, and then Bill Rogers, who's a uh, the Disney Park announce Disneyland Park announcer. Um, you know he. You know the we all know from the not long ago, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And all that. And then his wife, Camille Dixon, who's the Disney California Adventure Park announcer. Isn't that great? And then, and Brett Iwan, who of course is a professional voice actor, and we know him as the uh, official voice of Mickey Mouse. So, um. Now, I always want to know how they even, like, base this. So, since technically the guy who also does Mickey Mouse for the the new cartoons he's also mm-hmm. an official voice so he's much so. more limited because we we get into that it's much okay. more limited he's really limited to the shorts primarily yeah. um, that are on um, Disney Channel any anything that involves that style with it but mm-hmm. yeah it's very very intriguing why Brett is the official but then they also have another one it's like it's just, and, and 
Brett came first. Too. Exactly. Exactly. By so. a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I want to do is go through and just tell you what it was like, because uh, I learned a lot of interesting things and met a lot of interesting people along the way, too. So now it had been, been three years and three days since Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet had started and when it was last held because of the pandemic. Now, even though the main event is, um, is July, it was July 30th, they have a pre-event in the hotel, which is a, a, um, Embassy Suites Hotel in Linwood. And they have, uh, D23 actually has an official event there. Which you have to buy a ticket for, and they had they had some good you know munchy foods and all that you know like um, sort of um, southwestern style foods and stuff nachos things like that that you could do it. We just eaten dinner, so I didn't have any of that. And but then the big thing is is that they had uh, Goofy there. Goofy came all the way up yeah. to Linwood, and we so could cool. pose with him. And to all that, and they had some trinkets and stuff, and we got, um, I don't. What do they call those tiny little stuffed collectibles? The like the ones. Oh, Nuemos. Nuemos. Yeah, Nuemos. Yeah. We all got a goofy Nuemo. Oh, that's awesome. That was yeah. That was uh, provided by the the. Um, they have a Disney outlet store. Which on Sunday morning, you could sign up in advance before the store opened and, um, make purchases. I got a few things there at that. And, but then after that, the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet has an event that is free, um, if you're staying at the hotel, hmm. partner hotel at the Embassy Suites. If you're not, I think it's like $10 or something. And there they have, they have contests like raffles and stuff like that. And they have, um, the main thing was, is a, uh, trivia contest for prizes that were donated by the outlet store or that like Don Morin, who runs the event, he, um, picks things up along the way in his travels around and all that and, and donates them for the raffles, either this raffle or the, um, well, it's not a raffle, but for this or the, um, they have big raffle packages, baskets at the, um, Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet on Saturday that goes to charity, all the tickets and all that, the money for those. I won nothing as usual. So anyway, and I didn't participate in the trivia contest and it was so hot in that room. It was unusually warm. And so finally they started opening up doors and walls and getting fans in there and all that stuff because it was so hot. But um, I thought the trivia contest went a little long, but it was fun. It was fun to watch and see. And that was all run by the um, folks who worked at the outlet, the cast members at the outlet store. So anyway, so now we're there on Saturday the 30th. And, um, so it all, and everybody, you know, you sit down and you have your seat there and there, and there's an, and the, 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 some of the speakers you could get in line and have them autograph stuff in advance. So I'd had some of my stuff autographed books and things, but then they always have an opening video 
of some sort. And this one was to when will the mouse meet begin? Of course, it was to the theme of when will my life begin? The, the song from Tangled. <laughs> and it was all, it was Don Morin sort of getting the mouse meet together kind of thing. And then Don Morin comes out and it, it was cute. And then Don Morin comes out and he, I just wrote my notes, his opening comedy act. And so basically he opens the, the event and he does his comedy shtick and all that. I didn't write down any of his jokes or anything like that. But then the first speaker was Roger Gould and he, his main responsibility is to basically he brings, um, he's like I said, he's a creative director of theme parks for Disney, the Walt Disney Studio and Pixar Animation Studios. Uh, you basically, when we talk about IP in the parks, Roger Gold is our man for this. So, um, he has worked in all parks. Uh, Don always interviews, does a little interview with each of the speakers first. So this, this the opening is sort of Don asking questions. So uh, Don asked, what is his favorite snack? And so Roger said, um, the chili con queso um, at Cozy Cones, mm-hmm. Disney California Adventure. And at Tokyo Disneyland, it's the hot dog wrapped in a crust and all that. I don't think I had that um, when I was there. His favorite attraction is the original Pirates of the Caribbean. He said it is the greatest attraction ever built. So he saw Pinocchio when he was four years old, and he became obsessed with animation and with Disney. And so he said in the 1980s, he got into computer animation. And so he made commercials. And then he worked at, then he got a job at Disney. And he, uh, and he worked his first gig with Disney was he made the Hydra in the Hercules film. So, and then he went over to Pixar and he worked on some shorts like My, um, Mike's New Car and Bounding, which that's one of my favorite shorts and Jack Jack Attack. And he said everything begins with a story. And of course, that's what Walt always said. So he said you have you have to start with relatable characters that have flaws. And so then there's always a twist to the story, but it has to be set in a predictable world. And then you do the storyboarding, and then you do the story reboarding, and the director has to always focus on the core emotional idea. So he used Up as an example. How do you... um? Sort of how do you follow your life and judge its worth in the world? And so he went through the sort of the steps that they followed for that. So one is he and Ellie are going to follow the adventures of Carl Muntz. And then step two is, idea two is when they meet him, he was an old man. These are the original concepts. Mm-hmm. And then the, Number three was the, an early idea was Kevin laid eggs that gave perpetual youth. But that wasn't true to the core emotional idea of the film. So Car, and, and then Carl learns that the adventure is not important. It's the relationships that are important. So 
he says, and the characters go through an, an emotional journey and we, that we go through with them. And then we want to, ideally, we want to experience this over and over again. And Roger says the best place to do this is in the parks. So when the movies end, we believe the characters live on. And so we can see this in the parks. And we see this through like Cars Land or Remy's Paris or, um, like, or through stage shows or the character walkarounds or even in the hotels and on the cruise ships and even in the food. So, and then they showed, remember those little, what are those mochi things? Remember the little alien mochi things at Tokyo Disneyland? Oh, yeah. yeah. You probably have seen those and all that. So even stuff like that. So he said this all started with Turtle Talk with Crush. And so they had to start out by asking, who is Crush? And why would we want to talk to him? And how, and, and how to learn about his life. And so, that, of course, was a huge success. So following that was Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor, which Carol loved. I thought it was okay. Um, <laughs> then it was The Seas with Nemo and Friends, and then the Finding, Neo sub- the Finding Nemo submarine voyage over at Disneyland. And so Roger created a full-time team at Pixar to bring the films into the parks. So... The next big thing he worked on was Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. So Tom Fitzgerald was inspired by the scene when Remy got into Gusto's kitchen and it was dangerous. So he thought that there could be an attraction based on this that basically would be a 21st century version of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And when I think now, because Craig, we've been on this attraction both in Paris and and here in in Epcot. Do you would you would you compare it to that? Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. I think in a way it is when you when you think of the core concept. Um, now, they said the world had to be designed from the human and the rat perspective, and then you have to figure out where do guests fit into the story. So they crafted a rat vehicle and they wanted it to um, scurry and be trackless. And it also had to be level. So, um, but they needed to make it feel like we were falling through the skylight. So they did test animation of the scene and they showed this animation um, there and, and it worked. Now remember during all these talks, they're, they're doing a presentation. So there's images and videos and all of that that we're seeing as all the speakers um, talk. So, um, so then, um, they, so they built the, then they had to build the camera moves and then they created the animation scenes. And so, and of course, you know, if, if you haven't been on it, folks, uh, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure is a mix of animation and then giant physical sets. And they wanted it to end with Remy cooking with his friends in the kitchen. And they wanted it to be sort of a, a food prep Cirque du Soleil kind of thing. So then the last time when I was at Epcot and I rode Remy's and I, I looked, I looked for that feel to see, yeah, what well, is sort of like that when you see how they're, they've adjusted the kitchen so that it, it, to meet their, 
size needs and how they handle all the utensils and all that. So, um, so they created a purpose-built rat kitchen in CG, and then they created um, cooking rat animatronics. And again, they showed all of this development during the talk. Um, Roger said that there's a difference between film and attraction animation in that in the films, there's a lot of cuts, but in the parks, it's one large piece that's immersive. So in the film, Remy escapes in a, on a gusto um, cookbook in the beginning of the film and a spatula. And so when you're walking around Remy's Paris, there's a tribute to the scene on the manhole covers. So that was, that was what he talked about for, um, Remy's Ratatouille adventure. Now then they moved on to Toy Story Land. And, um, and they said in Toy Story, in Toy Story Land, there's two different lands. There's the, there's, you know, in the movies, there's sort of the land and the world of the toys when they're inert, like when Andy's around. And then when Andy's gone and they're alive. So, when we go into Toy Story Land, we are honorary toys at the toy scale. So everything is built from the toy's perspective. So because in the films, we never went into Andy's backyard. So this was all invented. And the story is that Andy was playing. He went in for lunch. And when Andy's away, the toys will play. So what they did was, you would have found this really interesting, Craig, because they showed how they did this. They used the 3D character data that they created for the film, and then they're able to send it over to the mill shop to create the big 3D figures for the parks. So, And that's how they're so exact. Yeah, I, I guess that would make sense when you think about it. They just have to obviously scale up to the size that they want, mm-hmm. but the model's all right there. You can't get, you can't get more perfect than the actual yeah. original designs. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. It's all, so much of it is digital now. So, and so even though the toys come from different manufacturers, Andy can mash them up. And so, um, and so, the, and that's, they said that's sort of one of the reasons, like Mater's, we have Mater's Junkyard Jamboree in Disney California Adventure, but we have, um, but at Walt Disney World, it's the same attraction. It's, it's the aliens. You know, in there, and in Shanghai Disneyland, it's um, Buckeye it, it is uh, in charge of the that attraction in there. So he said that th- there's also a need to have a feeling of spontaneity, such as the Slinky Dog Coast Slinky Dog Dash coaster um, that looks like Andy put it together, and then later that the toys sort of finished it up. Mm-hmm. So. And in the queue, you can see Andy's sketch, sketches that includes ideas where they said he, um, he ran out of money and, and time to build. So those, those are, so some of the sketches are actually concept ideas for Toy Story Land that never, um, mm-hmm. never got built. So take a look at those the next time you ride Slinky in there. And then it ends with Wheezy singing the core concept of the ride. You've got a friend in me. Yeah, so they never lose sight of the core concept. And then they also opened a, a Toy Story hotel in Disneyland Tokyo so that you could 
really live in a, in, in the space there. Then they moved out to Cars Land. And in Kevin Rafferty's book, he really talked a lot about developing Cars Land. That was like his last big project before he retired. Um, and it started as Carland as a main street for Disney California Adventures celebrating the 50s and 60s car culture and, and, and all that. And, um, but Pixar was also working on car attractions. So, so Disney, Walt Disney Imagineering was working on this 50s, 60s car culture concept, um, that Kevin Rafferty was, um, in charge of. And then Pixar was working on Cars attractions and the Cars films, and then they all got together, and it it basically became Cars Land, which is a combination of human and car sized attraction um, attractions. And what they wanted to do, they wanted to cruise around the road in the film with Ellie and Lightning McQueen and race around the Butte just like in the film. So they took a road trip on Route 66 to see all the inspirations for the film. And this was the first single-story immersive land in any Disney park. And so the park, this area of the park lives beyond the boundaries of the film. Um, Flo's in it, Flo cel- uh, sort of celebrates her backstory of Flo and the Motorama Girls. Um, Luigi's built a memorial wall of his life from his travels from Italy to Radiator Springs, and he created selfies with um, Guido in them. And the centerpiece is Radiator Springs Racers, where we become the car, and we meet our friends to get ready for the race, and we become a team to beat the other car. And the technology for Radiator Springs Racers is based on the technology at Test Track at Epcot. Um, there's two different car styles in Radiator Springs Racers. Now, the problem they had is that someone was going to win and someone was going to lose. So they sort of had to, you know, mitigate that. But Doc, Doc Hudson is really excited and he makes everyone feels good. And they used, again, the CG data from the film to create the car ride vehicles. And then at the end, um, Lightning McQueen and Mater remind everyone that we're all winners because we made friends. And again, again, is that, and that's the core concept of the attraction. Yeah. And we could have just tied. I mean, that was also <laughs> a possibility. Just, that's just true. throwing it out there. That's true. So. Also, at the same time, they designed how it would look like during the holidays with unique decorations for each of the characters in each of the, in each of the areas of Cars Land. So first they worked on the Christmas decorations and then they worked on um, Halloween. And I, and I know you've seen it, but it is so creative what they've done. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cars Land is great any time of the year, but... <laughs> I think I, I go back and forth on it. I think there's a magic of Christmas in Cars Land that really works. And it, it probably also helps that, you know, that was the first. So I have a bigger attachment to that. But um, Halloween, all, it actually feels more over the top than Christmas mm-hmm. does. So uh, while they're both unique and I have a soft spot for Christmas, Halloween is spectacular. And I, I cannot... 
I, I, I cannot wait till the next time I get to be back in Cars Land with Halloween overlays. I love it so much. Yeah, well, we'll be we'll be there for the D twenty three Oogie Boogie Bash. I'm, I'm hoping hoping I'll have time to get through there too, <laughs> and that trick or treat lines aren't too crazy because you know that's how you see the characters out there and such. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not I'm not promising myself anything. Just hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, then in 2013, um, for, for Frozen, they were asked to set up a team at Disney similar to the Pixar team for the Frozen Ever After attraction. And Roger Gold was asked to lead that team now. So now he was in charge of both the Pixar team and the Disney team. And so some of the projects that he's worked on since then, they built the Beast Castle at Tokyo Disneyland. Um, the, he worked on Drawn to Life, the Cirque du Soleil um, show at Disney Springs, Walt Disney World. He's now working on Zootopia, at, um, the Zootopia area. That is that at Shanghai? I think I can't remember if it's in Tokyo or Shanghai. It's Shanghai. It's Shanghai. Shanghai. Okay. Yeah. And at Disney Sea, he's working on their expansion. He's working on um, Rapunzel's Valley and, of course, Neverland for the Peter Pan area and and, um, Arendelle for the Frozen area as well. And then he will also be working on um, Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. So that was his talk. So it was really, really interesting. Now, now the one thing that when you go to the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet, you have to realize this is not a D23 event, so you are not going to hear about things that are coming up. And that sometimes disappoints people. This is not where announcements are made. This is where we hear about accomplishments, how things were already created. Which I find just as interesting as announcements yeah. because half the time the announcements don't happen, as we learned from the last D twenty three. Or um, you know yeah. what? It's <laughs> with announcements. It's just it's it's the long game with them. Like it mm-hmm. it can be very exciting, but it also does get your hopes up for things that you know could ultimately go away. But uh, there's always with any convention like. The people who go to them, they always, they might not have had a, a chance to share some of their story and, in, in the proper setting before. So you're going to get some tidbits. And then there's always those, those new things that you never hear before from, from a person that might even go to every single convention and constantly talks about themselves and their accomplishments. It's like they, it's like they save one story for every, new speaking engagement. So there's always something at least like new that will probably be new to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. So after this, one of the things that takes place at the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet is a door decorating contest. And that happens over at Embassy Suites. This isn't just like going on the Disney cruise where people put magnets on the door. People put an incredible amount of work into this. It is amazing what they do. And and sometimes they're giving things away. They're doing drawings. They've made buttons. I mean, they're doing all kinds of stuff. And um, 
and even like, you know, embassy suites, it's a suite. Some of them will close off the bedroom door and then the, the, the living room area, they will have all of that decorated as well. And, and it's amazing. And so, um, so there's a contest for that where they can win some prizes. And what you do is you go around and you vote on, um, which doors you like. And then there's a first, second, third place winner. So what they did is they had a video of all the different door decorating contests, uh, contestants. And then they, and then they announced the winners and all that. So, um, so they were all very impressive. So then there was a break, and then at 2 p.m., and, and during the break, you can go to lunch. Um, we had went to a, we had stopped off early at a store, Fred Meyers, and we just bought our lunch, some sandwiches and all that, and brought it because it sort of limited the, the food around there. There is a Chuck E. Cheese there, but, um, so we, and, but there's, places oh they make these elaborate scenes like they had an under the sea scene um with the little mermaid where things are moving you know the the starfish are twirling and all that the volunteers make this and you can use it as a photo opportunity there was a star wars scene and they have stormtroopers there and then there's all these different scenes that are there so you can take your photos during the break um a little before, after the speakers have their breaks, they come back and you can get in line and they'll do their autographs. And, and, um, so there's that, and the vendors are there. Oh, you can also, um, paint a cell. That's one of the activities that, that goes on every year at it. And so, so there's all kinds of stuff to do until 2 p.m. when you, you come back again. So, um, there was another video. It was a Soren themed video, and this is available on YouTube. You can see all the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meets videos um, from even the past meets. And they had a, um, it, it was like the the little as you're waiting in the queue for Soren, and you know how they have the map that shows the places that you fly to, and all that, that uh, on the attraction. They had a similar one for the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet, and all that. So it was cute. And that, but it, it flew to all the parks and then ended up in Linwood at the Pacific Northwest Mouse Then Don Morin came out again and he had his comedy sketch, as I wrote down here. Uh, you might be a Disney fan if, to, uh, you know, a riff on a, another comedian who does something similar. And, uh, and so that went on for a while. And then Sharita Carter and Kevin Rafferty came out. And I didn't know who she was, but she was 28. She's been with Imagineering for 28 years. And Kevin Rafferty had been with Imagineering for 43 years. And I, this was for me, I think this panel was probably the highlight for me because they were so dynamic and so funny and such i don't think trita ever stopped smiling and um and and you've seen her in some of the um tiana bayou adventure pre videos that they've put out she's one of the women in them and it's they were just so great together and they've worked together for 4 years they worked on mickey mouse runaway railway 
Yeah, and I was going to say that's the uh, that's the first time that she started popping up at mm-hmm. uh, at like media events where where I got to see her in person and um, you know obviously that was Kevin Rafferty's last big project. Um, obviously, then the pandemic happened, so it was kind of cool to see how like she was starting to step up and really speak about the projects and we're going to hear her name a lot. Yes, we are. We absolutely are. And she has a fascinating job too, um, which I'll get into in just a bit. But there was a, um, they said there, they said that the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway was a labor of love for them. It was uh, a three, there's a three legged stool that held up the ideas of the attraction. And, um, the first leg, sort of Mickey and Minnie, unlike other characters, Mickey and Minnie don't come from anywhere. So they needed a hook to hang on the idea on the, you know, on the thought that it was strange they never had a ride through attraction. So the first leg of the stool was the challenge of creating an original attraction, an original theme song, and an original idea. The second leg of the stool was the challenge of creating a new original story starring Mickey and Minnie Mouse in their own original attraction. And then the third leg of the stool is the challenge of creating the, the theatrical magic that you are entering the world of an animated cartoon. So Charita's team, what they do is they look at new technology that's out there in the world and they bring it in house and then she says they misuse it to see how it can become part of their toolkit and i thought what a fascinating job that would be to see the cutting edge technology and then see if they can use it for for you know it, it within disney yeah absolutely so um so the what they called sandbox 1.0 what they did is they, and again, they had images and videos of all this. They built a set from Snow White and, um, combining, uh, combining projections with physical dimensions. And it was like walking into an animation, um, short. And they said this was like nine or 10 years ago when they did this. And so, and they said all the elements from this first mock-up are in the finale scene of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And then the team, her team also worked on um, Indiana Jones in the Eyes of Mara, and Walt Disney World, The Legend of Jack Sparrow, and then um, Out of the Shadowland at Tokyo Disney Sea, which is a show out there. And then they asked what, the next question that they asked them, what if the physical set transformed with the digital set. So they showed a video of a transformation of making a forest transform into a city. And it was like, it was almost like they had, uh, the trees were almost like um, umbrellas and all that. And they, and they were, everything was white and they had the projections on them. And then suddenly the umbrellas closed down and things shifted and moved. And then the new projections came on and it was all now a cityscape. It was remarkable. So, um, 
And then Kevin talks about the art of the pitch, how you pitch your story. And you, so what you do is you have to get the team together and then communicate the story to get everyone on the same page and with the same vision. And so, um, he says, he says, imagineering, he said, you really go from the spark to the park. So you, so, because so many people have to understand the story. So he talked about how do we, um, how do we explain that Mickey and Minnie would be at the Chinese theater? And the idea is that we're at the theater to see the premiere of The Perfect Picnic, the cartoon short. So this is his pitch that he gave, like, apparently hundreds of times. And Charita just smiled. And she just let him go on his way. She says, I've heard this many times. So he says, you arrive in the theater to see The Perfect Picnic. And the theme song is is where Mickey and Minnie are loading the roadster for the picnic. And they throw Pluto into the trunk. And then they go to Runamuck Park, where Goofy is driving the train. And they hit a train sign. And then the trunk springs open. Pluto goes out, the uh, the pie flies out and lodges in the smokestack and it explodes and it, and it cuts the screen open and we enter the cartoon world. And then they took a flat screen with flat characters in a flat world and they gave them dimensionality and everything has to look hand-drawn. So we go into the station, it's the same train that was in the short so, but it's now full scale, and we board and go um, into Runamuck Park. And then Goofy opens the door and hopes we enjoy the tour. We see Mickey and Minnie in the roadster. Mickey hits the track switch. Goofy goes to the left. Our cars go into a tunnel we're not supposed to enter. The song changes sort of to the Old West theme. Mickey and Minnie now have a mission, and that is to save the train. Then there's a carnival scene, and Donald has a hot dog stand. There's a twister scene that blows us backwards into a calm tropical scene. Then there's a volcanic explosion and the waterfalls become lava flows. And we enter rapids. We follow Mickey and Minnie down the falls and we are underwater. And then there's the bee story that's going on throughout all this. And that's Pluto chasing Mickey and Minnie with the picnic basket in his mouth. So you always look for him in all these scenes. Then there's the downtown big city scene, and there's lots of gags in the windows. Look for Carter's cameras, because that's a tribute to Charita, because she's um, into photography. Uh, then you go into um, Daisy Duck's dance studio. And then you go to the backside of um, downtown, and you see Jackhammer Pete um, follows. And Mickey and Minnie are in the factory window, and we see the... Uh, the stomp, those stompers and Mickey gets caught in the gears to, and, and, um, to get to the switch. Minnie pulls hard down on the switch and the factory folds and changes and becomes the nighttime scenes of the park. And I think that's the finale that we we're talking about with the, that's that I talked about earlier with the forest changing into the, um, cityscape kind of thing. Then Goofy re-enters and corrects 
everything, uh, connects all the train cars, and he didn't even know that we were gone. And Mickey and Minnie are picnicking. Pluto comes along with the basket. Mickey plays the theme song on his guitar. And then to get back to the human world, we step back through the screen. And so, um, so that was his pitch. Now, I did not do justice to his pitch, but this is his pitch that he gave once a day to different teams, like a hundred times, as he explained it. So, um, so that would get me excited if I heard this. Anyway, anyway, so um, then they had, then they created a sketch like of the trains and and figures, and then they created the maquettes was built, and then this is for the train. Um, they they um, they photographed it and they painted it under both white light and UV black light, and we I think we learned it like um another. D23 events that red looks orange under UV light. And so they had to create a paint that looks red under both white light and UV light. So, and they said everything looks hand drawn and hand painted on the locomotives and cars, including the bolts and screws. Those all look hand painted. And then Jimmy McDonald was the sound effects wizard at the studio. And all the sound effects were handmade, um, not from digital files. Everything was synchronized to the rhythm of the um, theme song in there. And they scored the attraction as the same scale as a film. And it was done on the Clint Eastwood stage at the Warner Brothers studio. And apparently there are hidden Mickeys throughout the attraction, and Kevin said we'll never find them all. So, and then, and he said the whole story starts like with the lights that are in the queue. And then they introduced a new character, and this character is Charita's favorite. She is the president of his fan club, and that is Choopy, that little bird that we see, um, in several places in the in some of the scenes in Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway, but he's at the end. Also, we see him as we're waiting to go, you know, return to the real world and all the trains reconnect again. We see him above us there. And so, but I didn't know he had a name <laughs> until that event. So, um, so two weeks Prior to this um, event on July 30th, they did a walkthrough of Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway at Disneyland, and Kevin said he cried. Um, the Disneyland team gave Kevin a tribute scene in the city scene, but he wouldn't say what it was. So we'll have to look for that okay. when it opens. And um, it was Kevin's idea for the El Capitoon Theater, and the, he said the queue is different. This is because um, it's going to be the Al Capitoon Theater at um, Toy at um, it, over at Disneyland in Toontown. He said the staging is better due to um, them building a new show scene, but um, it's ninety nine percent the same. And then Charita's next project is Tiana's um, Bayou Adventure. Uh, she wanted to introduce Tiana to a new generation and create a love letter to New Orleans. And so people, of course, asked, I think Don asked, so, so what can you tell us about, about this project? Can you give us any advanced things? And she said, well, we're keeping the drop, we're keeping the canals, and we're adding a few new characters. 
So I, I so so basically, she didn't give away anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that was it. But it was a great talk. They were they were they were really terrific. And I and I spoke to both of them afterwards. And you know, any skepticism I had about Tiana's Bayou Adventure after I heard Charita talk, I it was all gone. I think she is going to do a fantastic job. Yeah. On converting that attraction. As long as there's no budget issues that they have to, you know, fall in line with uh, what what they're given to, to work with. As long as that doesn't happen, I think it's it's going to be something else. I mean, love or hate Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway or any of the other things she worked on. Uh, she she is that next name that everyone will know in love in imagineering which you know it's it's something that i feel like when we do have that name it it makes it easier to connect to the attractions and the lands that are created the same way you know we we connect so much to what joe rody did and uh yeah she's still got she's still got some stuff to prove to get to that kind of status but i i think it's going to happen one day sooner or later she's she she will, she will most likely be a Disney legend at some point. Oh, I think so. I think you're absolutely right about that. So, okay. Then after that talk, there was a break for a bit, and then at four fifteen p.m., uh, this was the last presentation. It was Bill Rogers, who's the voice of Disneyland, um, Camille Dixon, the voice of Disney California Adventure, and Brett Iwan, the voice of Mickey Mouse. So. They were asked, I, I think Don asked them about the new announcements that, that we're hearing, you know, um, and they, he, they, he asked, did they have any input? And they said they had a little. There were a couple of things that they, um, nixed right away. I, I think, I don't know if it was like, welcome everyone or something. They didn't care for that at all. So, um, but, uh, oh, they didn't, uh, 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 another one they didn't like was attention guests. That was going to be another proposal for an announcement. They didn't care for that. Um, they, they started recording the new announcements for the Disneyland 65th anniversary, but then the park was closed. And the announcements at Disneyland are a bit different than the announcements at the Magic Kingdom, while well, Disney World. So at Disneyland, it's, um, it's it. They did go with hello everyone, and then at opening they say to all who come to this happy place, welcome. So, um, so a little, slightly different from what they do at the Magic Kingdom. So Brett and Bill first met during the preview of World of Color in 2012, and this was when when interactive Mickey was meeting with guests um, to introduce World of Color. And there were two overnight rehearsals. And Brett was a bit tired from that because then they had to, um, they, they had the premiere with um, Bob Iger and, and all that there. And I think even Bob Chapek might have been there. So Mickey responded to Brett's voice, um, during the premiere, but Brett stepped on a line of Bob Iger's and he, and he, and he just said, Oh, and, um, Oh, it was, it was Bob Iger and Tom Staggs who were at this premiere of World of Color. And so Bob Iger and Tom Staggs just looked at him 
at, at Mickey Mouse, who just sort of uh, rocked back and forth and didn't say anything. Brett said he's better now at uh, that kind of stuff and at recovery and all that. But um, the um, he then showed um, a video of the of the different um, voices of Mickey Mouse and all that uh, over the years, and he sh- he had the a very well-known recording of um, of Walt recording Mickey Mouse in the Mr. Mouse Takes a Trip video where he's with um, the voice of Peg Leg Pete, who's a tiny little man who has this big, booming voice. It's always surprising. So, um, and then, uh, and, and Brett's, Brett's philosophy with voicing Mickey Mouse is he's just filling in for the boss. You know, Walt Disney. So basically from 1928 to 1947, Walt Disney voiced Mickey Mouse. The 1947 to 1977, it was Jimmy McDonald. And then from 1977 to 2009, it was Wayne Allwine. So Brett said he grew up on the shorts and he's a huge Disney history buff and also of um, Walt's legacy. So in the 80s, with the Disney Channel, Roy Disney started the character voices team for um, casting the voices. And that's when Wayne Allwine became the official voice. And then in from 2009 on, Brett has been the the official voice. And then Chris, I even Brett couldn't pronounce his last name, Diampatopoulos, I don't know, I wrote it all out but I don't know how you say it. He's the voice in the Paul um, Ruddish shorts that we see on the Disney Channel. And um, so Brett grew up surrounded by Disney in Pasadena. Um, Disneyland was his favorite place. He would watch the Disney shorts on VHS, and then he and his dad would pause them, and then they would draw the characters. Um, because Brett... Brett um, you know, became an animator, but his he showed his first drawing of Mickey Mouse when he was a little boy, and Mickey Mouse is holding a beer in one hand and an American flag in another. <laughs> so, um, he would frequently pass the Walt Disney Studio and dream of the magic that was happening there. And when he was twelve, his mother suggested he write a letter asking if he could help out around the studio, like sharpen pencils or serve coffee to the animators or something like that. Well, they actually responded to him. Somebody wrote him a two-page letter um, outlining what he should do to become an animator, um, what books to read, telling him he needs to draw every day, how to create a portfolio, uh, how to apply for art school. And and Brett said he pretty much followed this. This was his syllabus for the remainder of his life in becoming an animator. So when he went to high school, Toy Story came out. And he was he went when he was in art college because of Toy Story, the 2D animation department closed. So he graduated and he got a job at Hallmark Greeting Cards near Laughagram Studios and um, also near the bank that Roy worked at and at the library Walt went to. So he actually checked out an animation book that Walt had checked out. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so that would be very cool. Yep. You know, that, 
So, um, so then uh, he took time off to tile his bathroom, uh, with his dog. You'll love the name of the dog, Lily Bell. (laughs) (laughs) And he would talk to her in a funny little voice that sounded like Mickey Mouse. And he thought how lovely it would be to have that job. Well, he decided to check his work email. And, and remember, Hallmark had a contract with, with Disney during this time period. And, and there was a message, want to be the voice of Mickey Mouse, that a friend had forwarded to him. And it outlined the 2009 audition um, process to be an understudy for Wayne Allmine. And so there was a phone number to call and leave your audition. And they provided samples of of scripts and and guidelines for how to um sound how and how to uh and how to submit these auditions and so now he said that he he did uh singing and theater in high school but nothing more than that and he didn't know if he could do it but he knew he couldn't let this opportunity pass him by so the the audition line was open for three months. So he just sort of waited for 24 hours. And then he, he called in. And then he waited a month or two and he got a call from an 818 area code. And he knew that 818 area code, who, you know, wh- who was there, where it was from. And so he got his call back and they asked, are you in the Disneyland area or the Pixar area of California? And he, well, he had to tell him that he was in Kansas City. And they said, if you would like to fly yourself out here, um, we will audition you, but no guarantees. So this was his first time he was ever in a recording booth. So the senior vice president of Character Voices said, um, Wayne is having some health difficulties, and so that this is an understudy position. Well, two months later, uh, you know, um, Brett saw in the newspaper that Wayne had passed and now he knew the game had changed. So, uh, so character voices. So what happened is he got a call and asked they, and they would basically character voices would fly Brett out for projects. And on the second trip, he was doing a Disney on ice project and they offered him the job, but they told him he would have to relocate to Los Angeles, which of course, was no problem. So um, now the wife of Wayne Allwine was Rusie Taylor, and she was the voice of Minnie Mouse. And he said she was a very lovely person and, and that she spoke six languages. So, you know, for, uh, for like Minnie Mouse in other countries, she could do the voice in those languages, which is remarkable. So, um, so he, so he, does the Mickey's voice for video games, for um, Disney Cruise Lines, for Disney on Ice, um, for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on the Disney Channel, Mickey Mouse um, Road Racers. I remember my granddaughter loved that show in Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And then Mickey Mouse Funhouse. Um, and then um, crossover products he'll do. And of course, in the parks, he does the voice. Um, he also has a contract with Disney Fine Art. You've probably seen his work, Craig. He, he creates artwork. Um, also, um, merchandise, uh, like the Disney Artist Clothing Series, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he did, uh, it was like Mickey Doodles. He, 
he did not like drawing Mickey when he was off point. But so he did it. He always did doodles on his scripts and all of that. And so he based his merchandise um, clothing line on his doodles that he did. So he also has a line of posters of Mickey Mouse visiting national parks as I well. I know about that. I'll have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, they had some of them. At, and yeah, because you're trying to see all the national parks. Mm-hmm. He had some of them at the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. And he was autographing them. Yeah, very cool. I know that. Yeah, and he was asked to, um, oh, and he's asked to create an original poster for the Grand California Hotel at Disneyland, which will be given to every guest. So I'm staying at the Grand after um, D23 Expo. So I am hoping I'm going to get that little poster. Now, the other interesting thing about Brett is that he has a passion for trains like Walt did. His dad was in the model trains and they had a garden railroad. So their family trips were always about riding trains. So in his brother's backyard, his, and his, his, um, his dad and, and, um, and all that. And he, they built a model of the mind train through nature's wonderland. And he showed this. It was very impressive. And Bray, um, Brett, um, laid the track for it. And he wanted to, Brett wanted to work on the trains at Disneyland, but they wouldn't let him do it. So he got a job at Knott's Berry Farm working on their trains for two years. So Mm. he said he was, um, for Knott's Berry Farm, he was their only hidden Mickey. (laughs) That's great. I thought that was funny. That's really funny. So he said he was obsessed as a child with the Anacortes Railroad in Washington at Washington State. It was built by Tommy Thompson and his family would go there all the time. And he had, he had a number of family photos of them posing with this train. It was a, it was a, a good size locomotive that had, um, you know, excursion cars behind it. And well, Tommy Thompson passed in 1999 and the railroad ceased operations. So during a visit, the, the family would still visit, even though the railroad wasn't there anymore. Well, during a visit, Brett wrote a letter. Um, to the city asking about the train. And so one of the city leaders introduced him to the Thompson family. And Brett explained to them what he would like to do with the train. So the city returned the train to the Thompson family and they gifted it to, to, um, to Brett. So, and his family. And so, um, Walt said, and he had a quote from Walt, all your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue it. And Brett said his career has taught him that, that it's true. So Brett said that he loves history and legacy stories, and he's in the process of restoring the train, opening it to the public, and also like creating a little village that celebrates creativity. The exciting thing about this, Craig, is it's near where I live. Oh, really? Where he's doing this. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. So he lives near me, not far from me, because he and I chatted about it afterwards. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, so I, there's another reason why you need to come out here, Craig, when this train opens up. So, um, anyway, because it'll be open to the public. We, we might have to have a connecting with Walt meetup 
at Brett's um, train and all that. So, um, but Brett gave that quote, all your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue it. But Brett said, don't be fooled. Your dreams do require a lot of work. And then he showed a sizzle reel of the train being transported from Washington to his um, home. And um, so in Brett's garage is a 9,000 pound locomotive. (laughs) <laughs> that he's working on the restore. Now, I assume wow. at some point it's going to be moved to a, um, a, a, a more appropriate facility on his property and all that. But the home right now is in a suburb. It's in like a neighborhood like mine right now is what he showed. And they had to reinforce, I think, the um, the, the floor of his garage to hold this locomotive, but it it fit in there. So he said that he learned to do the voice on watching Fantasmic, and he was awestruck by the show elements and how, like, the and we've talked about this, how, like, the light towers just appear out of nowhere, you know, out of New Orleans Square. And he loved the sound of the music. And there was one time they couldn't stay for Fantasmic. His dad, they needed to leave early and brett was very upset so his dad let him buy the soundtrack at mickey star traders when he was 10 years old and he said even at 10 it wasn't the same listening to the soundtrack it's probably the same soundtrack i bought there and then um years later he got a call for a project. It was one-page dialogue, and it was a new audio for Fantasmic. And he objected because he said it was one of Wayne's greatest performances. And so Brett was told it was necessary due to new music and new show elements, but they may keep Wayne's some imagination. When Mickey says that at the end, they might keep that in the show. Well, the new, the new version of Fantasmic debuted and Wayne was in the park, like with his brother and, and family members and all that. And they decide, Wayne thought, well, let's go watch Fantasmic. Uh, I'm sorry, Brett said, let's go watch Fantasmic. So when they watched the new show and he heard his own voice and his brother said, did you ever think this moment would happen? And, Brett said that's when he lost it. Because when they were kids, they would act out phantasmic with, um, with garden hoses and projecting phantasmic on sheets as they played the soundtrack. So, and that was, that was pretty much the end of, um, Brett's presentation. And then, and then after that, they had, um, they had the raffle. They have these huge baskets where you can buy raffle tickets. And they um, and it goes to charity. And I won nothing. And I bought $80 worth of raffle tickets. And, um, and then some people won multiple baskets. I, I don't understand how it works. But anyway, for the charity raffle, they raised $12,200. Now, some of the people you had to pay for their autographs, like Kevin Rafferty, I think, was he he was charging for something i believe i don't know what it was but um he donated um everything everybody donated everybody paid for to the charity um anyway so he raised um i think it was i think it was kevin that did that 
Anyway, he raised, um, they raised $12,200. Half of it went to the children's hospital. And then the other half went to give kids the world. So that's why I didn't mind buying a lot of raffle tickets. So they had some cool prizes. Going to a good cause. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that was it. And I'm looking forward to going next year. This is a really fun event. And there's a lot to see and do around there. I have my um, favorite restaurants now that I like to go to. Not necessarily in Linwood, but near the coast. Because this isn't very far from um, the water and all that. And there's some nice areas near there. But, you know, you could go into Seattle, see the Space Needle, see the Chihuly exhibit, uh, which is magnificent. I mean, there's a ton of stuff you can do. When, when, if you come out to the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. So, excuse me. So I highly recommend it. And it is not a big event. It's very limited to just a few hundred people. So I don't know if it's like 400 or something. I mean, it's not huge. So, and I'm just guessing at that number because the, um, convention center is not very big. So, um, but it's terrific. It's a lot of fun. So I hope I've been able to um, convey that to all of you, how much fun and how interesting it was. And then I got to meet all mm-hmm. the speakers, which was really neat, yeah. too. And, and just having that extra step of it being, you know, a, a production that is set off with Disney. You just get that that extra level of uh, specialness to it. Not, not Nothing against unofficial conventions but you can tell just from what you said there there's something something a little bit more unique about you getting to see all this stuff so uh i if i was out there i would i would definitely try to go to it well you have to you have to plan to come out and then can do a west coast (laughs) visit go to the walt disney family museum and then come up to linwood and you could even then embark on a on a cruise to Alaska for me I, or something like that. <laughs> I don't think my family will allow me to do much of that moving <laughs> on in the future, but we'll see. Yeah, once for once now. things once once babies are older, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so Oh, you said babies. Oh, are there twins? Oh, something no. we don't know. Something you're waiting. Something you're going to announce on the show? No, no, just baby. <laughs> but I mean, of course, you know, you start with the one, and mm-hmm. and the wife wants the other one. So, oh, absolutely, you have to have a matching set. You <laughs> well, know, she wants more than that, and I'm like, hey, let's <laughs> start with one and see if yeah. if we're the people that we've criticized for years about they should not be parents. Oh, we, once we know we're not them. Then and we'll talk about too. <laughs> oh, we all make our mistakes. <laughs> As time goes on. But anyway, that's the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. And so I hope I will see you there next year. But now it's time for this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig, I think it is your turn this week. It is my turn this week, and um, I'm gonna kind of uh, I'm gonna kind of steal from uh, last week as well because mine's kind of a two day event. Um, actually, happened on September 10th and then the 11th of 2017, and that is that uh, Walt Disney World was closed for two days because of Hurricane Irma, which. You know, Central Florida didn't really uh, 
I, I, it wasn't like we did lose power with it, at least in my house, and I'm right above Magic Kingdom, so it wasn't wasn't the greatest thing in the world. But it also wasn't nearly as devastating as it was in other areas. But I, I the reason why it jumped out to me is is obviously because of what happened with the pandemic and the parks being closed for such a long time. Uh, it always felt so unique and rare during hurricane season when they would actually make the decision to close the parks and like, Oh my gosh, this never happens. Um, you know, there's only, only a handful of times that it was actually closed for that. So it always felt so, so, so weird that they would close for that. But now after the pandemic, it's if, if they ever have to close again because of hurricanes and we technically are in hurricane season right now, it's just never going to feel quite as odd after having the parks closed for such a long time. I mean, gosh, Disneyland was closed 400 something days. Like it's mm-hmm. just it, it, a day or two because of a potential hurricane is never going to feel like much after that. So, uh, that was, that was that time period. So even though, uh, you know, we're, 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 even though it feels like it's, it's not necessarily possible for hurricanes, we're actually starting to get in the, the period here in Florida where feels like it's always most active right in this early to mid September time range. So fingers crossed that, that we have a, a safe year this year and get through hurricane season. Yeah, I hope so. Cause it seems like it's been fairly quiet. Knock on wood. Yeah, uh, this it year. has, it has. I mean, things are starting to brew up right now. Obviously again, we're recording this a little in advance and there was a couple, uh, couple cells out in the the atlantic and one in the gulf that you know always had to keep an eye on but it's uh it's inevitable that something's gonna hit florida at some point and just hope that it's nothing nothing too crazy it's uh just it's it's scary it's sad i mean it's the same thing with hurricanes and wildfires out on your coast there's natural disasters not fun and not mm-hmm. really happy to talk about either. So I'm sorry for bringing it down a little bit. No, here. no, it's fine. <laughs> so, well, mine takes place on September 14th, 1964. And this is in Walt Disney was invited to the White House by um, United States President Johnson. And Walt was was given the Medal of Freedom. And this is the United States' highest civil honor. Um, recipients of this medal are those who have made outstanding contributions to the security or national interest of the United States or to world peace, or those who have made a significant public or private accomplishment. So this was quite an honor for Walt. And of course, there was, it was very well known at the time that Walt was not a big supporter of President Johnson. And in fact, um, he was a supporter of Barry Goldwater, who was the opponent of President Johnson in the upcoming uh, election. And there's a whole story, and there are many, many versions of the story, that supposedly Walt wore a Barry Goldwater pin <laughs> to this ceremony. And um, from what I've uh, what I've read and from what Diane... Disney Miller said, because um, Lillian was not too keen on going, because Walt was combining this with a, um, Walt was in a lawn bowling at the time, and so he was combining this with a um, 
lawn bowling tournament in the Poconos. And then, and, and Lillian just wasn't keen on going to that and everything. So Diane, um, went with him. And so, um, supposedly, uh, somehow somebody got, uh, got Walt two different Barry Goldwater buttons because Walt wanted a Barry Goldwater button. One was a very large one that would, and then one was a tiny one that said, um, it was like, it said like G64. And I think the G was supposed to be also was the six. So it's like G4 kind of thing. It was very small. Well, the story goes what one historian that I do respect said Walt actually did was under his lapel where it was not visible. Walt wore that tiny Barry Goldwater button. So pin. So that, um, it would, what would have been visible was the back of the pin. Um, would have been visible on his lapel of the little, like, um, you know, the pin part of it, the, the, but, but the actual button itself would have been hidden underneath the lapel of his suit jacket. So, um, but Walt just thought that was a great joke. And people said, um, oh, you know, other people, other historians have written books about Walt, the not too flattering books has said that Walt flashed it. So that President Johnson would see it. But, um, they said there are no photos and no witnesses at the ceremony that saw Walt do that. So, um, but, but Diane said, yeah, he did have the button with him. So anyway, so that's the story, story of that, but quite an honor, um, to receive, for Walt to receive the Medal of Freedom. Well, speaking of the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet, they are, they do have another event coming up. And this is on November 5th, 2022. They are, um, they are partnering, partnering with the Museum of Flight in Seattle. They're hosting a dapper dinner, dinner and evening under the planes. And so it's, they said it's going to be a swinging good time with themed foods, a big swing band. There'll be photo opportunities and more. Um, people are encouraged to wear vintage outfits. And this is, um, this is going to be to benefit the museum. So for more information, you can go on like the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meat Facebook page or, um, the Museum of Flights website. If you're in the area and you want to find out about this, they were promoting this at the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. And they were also, um, it was one of the part of the giveaways that they were doing too in the charity raffle and all that. So, um, were tickets to this. So sounds like it would be fun. Yeah, gotta love that vintage, uh, style event. So, oh, again, yeah. I'm just on the wrong side of the country. Yeah, like, oh yeah, like Dapper Days at Disneyland are great fun. We take it very seriously out here at Dapper Days at Disneyland. So, so, um, but you have to, don't they, they started Dapper Days at Walt Disney World a while back, didn't they? Yeah, uh, it's just, it always occurs during like the warm time of the year. So it's, it's very hard to like say, you know what? I want to get dressed up in a, multiple piece suit and walk around <laughs> in in Orlando. I literally I can't be outside for more than five minutes before I'm sweating through thin t shirts, let alone anything that's like realistic clothing. 
of I don't know why I said realistic anything that's like actually you know has has real heft to it and mm-hmm. doesn't breathe well. So yeah, it's a uh, it's it, but even like because the temperatures are always so all over the place. Even if they said yeah, we'll do it in January, you never know when we're gonna have an eighty five degree day in January. So it's there's no winning in Florida. <laughs> But Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the shows I'm on, the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network. You can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And you can email me, Craig, at DisneyInfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. You can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyPlug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>